Bless the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for simple truth this morning that pierces the veil of anything that holds us back from walking in that truth and that power and that life in you. Bless your people, O Lord. Father, I pray your blessings upon each and every person here, each and every person that this word might resonate to now and the days to come, and those that are fellowshipping together wherever they're at. Father, we've come to hear truth, and we've come, Lord, to press in. Father, we know in the limited time we have, we can only do so much, so Father, you amplify it, you magnify it. But Lord, allow us to, to grasp those morsels that help us to transform and change day by day from your glory to your glory. To you alone and always be all glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I sent you a blast and sort of gave you a hint. And I didn't realize as I really got into this deeper and deeper that this is probably going to be a multi-fold addition to the multi-series which we've been on, which is Walk the Talk on the Wild Side of New Creation Living. Our entire ministry is committed to preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. That's who we are. It's what we do. Many are called for many things, and together in the body of Christ, if we're alive today, we are those who have been born and put on earth to prepare the way for His coming. Some are aware, some aren't aware. Some are anxious, some are not anxious. Some are unsettled and some are wondering how to allow this to align with different eschatologies, different philosophies of faith and religion, and in it comes confusion and sometimes anxiety. But I want to set you at peace with all of that. Yes, Jesus is coming again. And in my heart, I believe that you are the generation now, some may pass on before he comes, some may not, but I believe that this generation, this timeline, is the one appointed of God to see the coming of our Lord. I breathe that, I live that, and I've done that since the day one that I discovered that Jesus was Lord some 40 years ago. This is nothing new for me. I've had to process things like we all have had. I've had to figure out what was truth and not truth, which was man's object and what was religion and what was taught us theology, but what was truth of God. And right now, more than any other time, any other time in our lives, maybe in the history of Scripture, we need to know truth. We need to know how to walk in truth, how to receive truth, what's true, what's not true, what is meaningful in our lives, and what is not. And so I want to just scratch the surface, if, that, if I may. I surrendered late last night and very, very early this morning as I was struggling with this message and said, Lord, I'm just going to pour a little bit in the thimble, just a little bit in the baby bottle, and Father, you help us to bring it out. Because I realized that this just wasn't one segment of this series, and there's been many good uh, segments on this series. This is really delving into some foundation. And our commitment is, is that we are building upon the firm foundation of the Word of God with a fresh revelation. That's who we are. It's what we do. Um, many ministries, many churches, they have callings and they have foundations that they build upon. And they're good. They're all good. I don't discredit any of them. But we have to be who we are and I have to be who I am. And uh, I realize that sometimes 
we're not speaking to a general audience. Sometimes we're not speaking to things that people feel and want to hear in that moment. But there's something about building on the firm foundation of God. When we grab those nuggets, when we put them as building blocks in our faith, they continue to grow. But we need to be those who recognize them. We need to be those who recognize them. So with that, I'd like us to just delve into some of the overview about this. No, not yet. Hold that off for a moment. Hold that off. That's going to send everybody sideways real quick. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Pontius Pilate, right? What is truth? What is truth? You could see him. You could see him. And I want to bring that alive to us here this morning, and I want us to glean from that. You know, one of, one of the things I strive to do as a teacher is to um, be able to excite people and help to give people tools so that we look for what's more in the words than in the words. You know, many people can read the Bible as a story. And the story of Pontius Pilate is a story. It's history, but there's so much more in it. There's so much revelation in it if we just look at it for a moment. So let's do that. Let's go to the book of John, the gospel of John, starting in chapter 18. Now, you know the story. You know the history. Jesus Christ has been accused of, of being all kind of things, and the Jews that uh, the Pharisaic Jews, they wanted to kill him, and they wanted to destroy him and get rid of him, and they finally thought they found their chance. And isn't it amazing how the Lord aligned all of that, all of that perfectly, and they were so much in a stupor in wanting to accomplish their own agenda, they didn't realize that the Passover lamb was right before them. They didn't realize that they were going to execute the Passover lamb, and by so doing, that it was going to annihilate the very law that they thought they were defending because his kingdom was not of this world, it was of another world. And that was what confused Pilate. He was confused because he was trying to understand and comprehend a culture that he only knew from the outside and he had no idea what truth was, but yet he thought he could have truth. Let's look at the single episode. And while we do it, I want you to, to realize that there are many things through these words that this disturbed Roman consular, this, this official, uh, were merging. There was a human consciousness. Well, we have that same challenge. The human consciousness works on us, and sometimes it works against us uh, unless we subject it to the foundation of our faith. And then you have this resisting the spirit of truth because... God, the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of truth. And while balancing all of this, the objectivity of the moment against the emerging spiritual truth, all of this was tempered by an adherence to government and law. Hmm. Beloved, the laws of this country, we need them. Every nation needs laws. They need good laws. But the laws of this country are not the moral code of the kingdom of God. Uh, I, I hope you would say more than that. The laws of this country are not the moral kingdom of God. Just because it's legislated does not release us from the obedience to God. Correct? And we'll deal with that in a moment. There are many things that have been legislated on an outcry of a mob mentality that are not good before God. And just because it's legal doesn't make it moral before God. Amen? So, Pilate, 
John 18, 33. Pilate entered the praetorium again. Now, he had been in there. He was questioning Jesus. He left the praetorium. He went out. The Jews would not come in the praetorium because they were keeping the law. And they didn't want to be unclean on the Sabbath because that was more important to them to be able to move with the Sabbath than it was to be able to actually participate in this trial before Pilate. They thought they were keeping their hands clean. Pilate entered the praetorium again, and he called Jesus and said to him, very pointedly, are you the king of the Jews? Now understand, his role was to keep the authority of Rome in that remote place of Judea and Samaria, which, by the way, never was called Palestine. You know that. That's, that's a lie. That's deceit. It was never Palestine. That was done by another code, another government back in the early 1900s, and they gave it that name. So when there's a claim that, you know, there's been a Palestinian ownership of the land since the beginning of time, uh-uh. since the beginning of the 20th century, it was named. That land has always been the land of Israel once God gave it to his people. And guess what? Jesus is coming back to that land and he's coming back to the Mount of Olives, and his feet are going to plant there, and he's going to walk down into Jerusalem. What a mighty, mighty parade that's going to be. Because you know why? All the saints with him. All the saints with him. You're going to parade with him down into Jerusalem. I don't know how they're going to fit everybody in there. I intend to be there too, so maybe we'll just be stacked on high on top of each other. I don't know how it's going to work, but I'll see you there when Jesus comes back. And I want you to know something for some of you who have a different understanding of the promise of the Jewish Messiah into Israel. He is Jewish still. He never quit being Jewish. And, and besides him still being Jewish still, he's coming back to the home of the Jews in Israel. Now, on his grand tour, he might make it to wherever you are. He might make it to Africa, and he might make it to, to Pakistan, and he might make it to California, but that's going to be second on the tour. The grand slam is Jerusalem. And so he says, are you the king of the Jews? This is the point. This is the verdict. This is the evidence, because they were calling him the king of the Jews, which meant that if he said he was, that he was coming against the authority of Caesar. Caesar, who not only was considered to be an emperor king, but also a god in that instance. So he had two strikes against him. He was God and king. And so that's what they wanted to uh, uh, convict him of. Jesus answered him. I love the way Jesus answers a difficult question. Let's learn something about that. You know, you could just glide right over that. But if you've ever just read the print in red in your Bible, if you, how many of you have Bibles with the, the words of Jesus in red? Yeah. Jim Baker one time told me, this was after he came out of jail, that what God did to transform him and help cleanse him and realize how he had gotten off into other truths was he just read the red words of Jesus and nothing else while he was in prison, and he realized that everything that had been added to it in his head and in his own formulation and in some of his denominational teachings had helped him stray away because he chose those things. When you read the words of Jesus and we understand how he reacted to things, 
that teaches us how we react to things. How many of you sometimes have been asked a very difficult question that you couldn't answer right or you didn't want to answer or you felt was putting you in the middle of a pickle? Amen? I mean, you may not think of it right now, but I'm sure you've been there. I'm sure you've been there. Um, for example, how many of you have ever had a speeding ticket and you go before the magistrate or the judge and you say, no contest? Because you don't want to say guilty, but you realize you were speeding, but you're allowed to say no contest because when you say no contest and you're allowed to say what you think and you're basically saying to that person, do with me what you will, but how about you be easy? I'm not contesting it. I'm not saying I'm guilty. No contest. In this instance, we see, are you the king of the Jews? What does Jesus do? Let's go to the next verse. This is how he handles it. Jesus answered him. He answered him with this. Are you speaking? It's a question. Are you speaking by yourself about this? Or did others tell you this thing concerning me? Jesus pierced right to it. Did you come to this conclusion that I'm a king? Now, do you think that Jesus didn't know the answer? He knew the answer. He was rhetorically setting him up so that he would have to think about it. And in that basis, Jesus was teaching us that we're put in a position where people want to persecute and accuse you of your calling in God, your office in the kingdom. Whatever it is, you don't need to defend it and say, yes, I am. The Lord says. You just say, is that what you're really asking me? Or is it really that you're trying to ask me something else that you don't want to ask me? So Jesus says to him, to Pilate, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this thing concerning me? Now, Pilate and he knew who the others were, right? It was the Jewish council, that the Herodian council that wanted to destroy him and convict him. And Pilate answers, am I a Jew? Ah, Pilate says, yeah, you know, it was the Jews, but am I a Jew? Do you think that I know about these things? He's sort of starting to wash his hands a little prematurely, isn't he? He's up against the wall against the greatest mind in the entire universe. And he says, am I a Jew? Your own nation. These chief priests, you're the Jew. They've delivered you to me. So what have you done? He wants to know what he did wrong. And Jesus answered, here's how he answered, are you the king of the Jews? My kingdom, it's not of this world. Can you imagine, Pilate, sort of, do you ever see a dog that the, the whistle went up real shrill and all of a sudden it goes like this? Could you see Pilate going, huh? Your kingdom is not of this world. No, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants out here would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews but now my kingdom, it's not from here. Basically, he was telling them, your question has no relevance to truth. Your question is relevant to the situation. Truth is not of this world. Jesus says, I am the way, the life, and the truth. Or the truth, the way, and the life. Or the way, the truth, and the life. Whichever way you want to put it. He's the truth. And he says that I will go and it's expedient that when I go, I will pray to the Father and he will send to you a spirit, a comforter who is also the spirit of truth. Truth is essential to our faith in the kingdom of God. And that's why my headline to you was that this conflict that's waging in society right now, in government, in politics, in morality, in the church, in religion, in families, in schools, my God, in schools, 
the one about, how about health? How about, what is the truth about COVID-19? We have one position, someone has another position, someone else has another position. What is the truth? Well, one thing we know about the truth, there's a whole lot of people not telling it. We know where it came from, and they said it didn't, but now they say it did, but they can't prove it would, but it did. Hey, the truth is the truth. Because everybody wants to make the truth conform to what they want to be their understanding, their agenda. But there's no greater battle that one that rages over the truth than the one that's inside of you and I. That's where the greatest battle of is. You see, just like Jesus said, he said, I, I'm not of this kingdom. And who are you? You're citizens of another kingdom. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. You've already transformed because you're a new creation in Jesus Christ. The difference is you could come to America from a country that, that completely, completely doesn't allow you to do much whatsoever, and you have all these rights. But if you don't exercise those rights, you're no different than you were where you came from. Or sometimes people move to another place and they bring the garbage with them, right? To my beloved people in California, I love California, but I don't want to talk politics, and I love Texas. I wish as they're moving to Texas or to Ohio or to Florida, some of them, that they'd leave that baggage in California that chased them out of California. They're leaving there because they can't afford it. It's terrible. They got all kind of natural issues. They're being led by people that aren't leading too well in government. Uh, there's so many issues. There's decadence. There's bums laying out all over the streets. Their children can't go to the park because they step on needles. That's a fact. So they want to come to Ohio. Ohio's nice and clean. It's beautiful. The people are sweet. They're nice. It's affordable. Let's go to Florida, the flattest state in the country. Hey, Florida, you don't have to pay part. Let's go to Texas. Texas, the biggest state of the union, and there your children can go to school. They haven't gone to school in California for a year. Now they're talking about not sending them again. What do you think is going to happen to that whole generation? How about the children that aren't able to talk right because they don't see faces anymore? All they see is masks. All they see is masks. How do you know a child learns? It's not just what they hear. They watch. They see. They form. They, 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 we have faces for a reason. We have faces so that we can relate to one another, not to be put over a mask all the time. The truth of it is, though, if you get a vaccine, you won't have to wear a mask again. But reset. Fauci, the totalitarian, now says you'll wear a mask all the time no matter what or else you're not being fair to everybody else. That's the card they play on you. You're not being fair to everybody else. Because of you, everybody else is in jeopardy. Really? Really? Last I knew, COVID was a virus. I don't think I'm the source of the virus. I'm not sure. You know, I mean, I'm not sure about that truth. I, I got off into that to show you how... Truth can be relevant to the moment. And then all of a sudden, in a little while, it's no longer the truth. There's a different truth because it's subjective to what the system is. It's in process. It's working. We need to really pray for and do more than pray for our youth today. There's a battle raging for their very minds. And it's a battle that's from the pit of hell. 
And it's got many, many different people that have allied themselves with it. Some who have PhDs and DDDs and MBAs and MBDs and you name it under the sun. They've got all kind of titles and credentials, but they don't have the new creation spirit working inside their heart. And if some do, they're not obedient to it. They choose to wonder, is this the way or is that the way? But Jesus made it very clear. So he says, but now my kingdom is not from here. Next verse. Pilate therefore answers him, so tell me, are you a king? He tries to bring it right back to earth. Jesus answers him and says, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to what? The truth. Witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Ah. Let's sort of interpret this like we're reading some Hebrew. Let's start on the right and go left. Hear my voice, that's the truth. Hear my voice, that's the truth. Huh? Hear my voice, that's the truth. What do you need before anything in order to have the capacity to have truth? You need to hear his voice. How do you hear his voice? You have to accept him as Lord and Savior. He has to come and live inside of you and send the spirit of truth inside of you so that you have an interpretation, a dialogue, so that you are on a quid pro quo with the Lord God himself, your Father, that you can understand each other, that you can hear each other. He knows your voice and you know his voice. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I'm the shepherd and my sheep know my voice. So we have to discern the voice of Jesus and we have to protect the mechanisms that God has given us so that we filter out what is not the voice of Jesus. You can have many learned people tell us many things. They could be in a pulpit. Could be me. Could be anybody. They could be in a governmental position. Could be the president of this United States. Could be a doctor. Could be a psychologist, Lord help them. Could be a psychiatrist. Could be many different people. Could be a teacher who imposes his or hers understanding of what they think the world should be upon our most precious treasures, our children. Some, by the grace of God, are saying or doing it right, and some are not. And so the interesting thing is, is how do we filter? How do we filter what's of God and what's not of God? The first thing is, you know, the Word of God. This becomes our foundation, building upon a firm foundation and then asking the Lord for revelation in the circumstance. It's not a revelation that changes the Word of God. It's a revelation that applies the Word of God into your circumstance. In your circumstance, do you believe that God wants us to be so afraid of any cursed virus that we deplete and, de and deny our children life? that we take it away from it? Do you think it's the will of God that we tell our children that for any reason whatsoever that they're to be inferior to somebody else? Do you think it's the will of God that we tell people that not only is it okay to get an abortion, it's good to get an abortion? Do you think that's the will of God? Do you think it's the will of God that we all of a sudden begin to see more and more substances being proved Legally here in this country, what's it say to people? It's okay. Partake of any substance. It's legal. 
It's legal. Go ahead. It's legal. Is it? You know, the apple in the Garden of Eden was legal. It was natural. No, it was illegal. God said, yeah, I created that apple. Don't eat of that one. If you eat of that one, you're going to get the knowledge of good and evil. Not a good place to go. So there are things in the earth just because they're natural doesn't mean that we're supposed to partake them or abuse them. And the Lord speaks to us. Paul speaks to us. Thessalonians speaks to us. It says, be sober and vigilant because the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. You won't know when it comes. And what's the first thing he says? He says he will find some drunken. Drunken. God help me if Jesus comes and I'm drunk. Because what follows after that, as such, will not see the kingdom of God. Doesn't seem fair. Doesn't seem like a message to preach. Well, I was looking at this this morning because I said, Lord, help me, temper me. I don't want to be condemning of anybody, but I am a pastor and I care more about souls than I care about my popularity contest. God knows I don't care about numbers. God knows you can't pay me. You can't deny pay from me to preach. I'm just one of those wild stones that God just cast out, like me, hate me. I have the ability to say what I need to say in the fear of the Lord. And so this I received, and um, it comes out of James, and it's uh, in verse 19 and 20 of chapter 5. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one converts him, brethren, if any of you, this is for Christians, this isn't for the world. This message isn't for the world. It is, but it isn't. Because like Jesus said, if you know my voice, you understand this is truth. You hear it, you understand it. If you don't know my voice, this is just another philosophy, another religion, another theology, if you will. The world doesn't need more religions and theologies. The world needs a blind faith in Jesus Christ, an understanding of the Word of God and who we are and what we can do in His mighty name. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converts the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall cover a multitude of sins. Beloved, just because we receive Jesus Christ doesn't mean that the battle's over. For many of us, the battle just began. There's a war raging inside of us. It's the old man raging against the new man. It says that the old man should perish inside of us, but I can tell you from my own experience, you, you don't kill him. You have to crucify him every day. You have to take that flesh and nail it on the cross all the time. And whenever it creeps up, whatever object, whatever reason it gives you, how rational it sounds, how provoked you feel, you need to test and discern that spirit. We need to say, is that God or is that Frank? Is that God or is it somebody else's flesh? Is that God? And sometimes we should not rush to judgment too fast. Sometimes somebody's saying or showing us something that we need to take some time and think about. It's not as immediate. And other times we know flagrantly, that ain't God. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. Bless you. Paul made it a little stronger. He said, as such, that deviate from the truth, stay away from them. Paul realized that there's an influence that comes in relationships. There's an influence that comes from what we participate and excite ourselves in, right? 
I'm the first one to admit you, I've walked out of a lot of conferences. Not arrogance, not that I know better. I didn't want to receive what was being imparted. Now, some of it sounded good, maybe 85, 90% of it, but that 10% that wasn't right, that person's not laying hands on me. I don't want that. I don't want that. And what does Paul say? Don't lay hands suddenly. Convert that to yourself. Don't let anybody lay hands suddenly. Because who they are and what they are is deep in the spirit. And it's not just what the moment is, it's who they are. And that begins to impart to you because there's something very spiritual about the transmission of spirit to spirit. Very spiritual. So when we put ourselves in those circumstances, no matter what we think, no matter how strong we believe we are, we are beginning to assimilate that spirit. And what's that spirit intended to do to destroy our souls? It's to destroy our testimony, destroy our witness, and destroy our souls. That's what that spirit is all about. That's why Isaiah said, arise and shine for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Isaiah 61 and 2. But gross darkness is covering the earth. We have a covering of the glory of God, but if we walk outside of that covering, right now I'm standing on firm ground unless the Lord lifted me. If I take two more steps over, I'm going down. And I'm going to hit pretty hard and I've got to replace knee. Ain't a pleasant thing. That knee might just pop right back out. I don't know. But I know one thing, I'm on firm ground in the foundation of the Word of God. And I know that if I stand on that firm ground, no matter what comes my way, it's a good day. I want to share this with you. Like I said, I'm just scratching the surface. I'll give you a quick summary of what we're going to go into. It may, it may be something that you're interested in. It may be something you're not interested in. I know it's what I've been given to give you. I think it's pretty interesting stuff. And I think it takes us to another level. Let me talk to you about a bad day that turned out to be a good day. How many of you know what Romans 8.28 says? Can we put it up on the screen real quick, Ty? Romans 8.28. You've heard me say it before. My mama's favorite scripture. It's written right here. Right here. Under this floor, before we put the covering down, uh, we had a, a, a little exercise where the people at the time that were here, and there weren't many. Was it maybe 19, 20, Sydney? I don't know how many came for a prayer meeting. Everybody went, and we had, they put scriptures all over the church, and there were certain ones that I had mapped out where I wanted them, and then it was up to everybody. And we have that map. We have the spiritual map of the Word of God that's on this church. So that when people come through the door, there's word that is ministering to them. When they go in the hallway, there's word that's ministering to them. When they go into the uh, prayer room and that place where we've heard the chimes and the witnesses of God going off, oh boy, some stuff going on in there. We've heard, we've heard. And right here, this one was me knowing in my heart this testimony, not only to my mother, but because I hadn't got to the place that she got to. I wanted to get there. I hadn't got to the place where I could go to her on a fateful day in July, waiting for the lights to go on in their house at 4.30 in the morning to tell them that their grandson, my nephew, my godson, one of my brother's only two boys was killed in an accident at 2 o'clock that morning, 16 years old. I didn't know what to expect. I just knew I needed to get to them before they heard it on the news or somebody else. And I knew it was my responsibility, and I sat there. I said, what do I do? What do I say? And this saint of God, this woman of God, came in her house coat and answered the door. She called me by 
the name that I was called as a child, Stormy. She said, Stormy, who is it? Not what is it. Who is it? I said, it's Christian. She went in the kitchen. We sat at the chair. She said to me, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And she said, all things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That's what came out of her. Me bawling like a baby. Her, not because she was emotionless, because she was steadfast in her faith. She believed God in that moment when you didn't even supposed to believe God in that moment. Maybe we get a pass in those moments and we come back. I had a pass. I had to go and come back. I had to go and come back. Because we had just returned from Australia and I had been sent in before Franklin Graham by the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem. I went to nine cities, 21 days, held revivals, crusades, teachings all through the country. The press picked up on it, revival, fire was going everywhere. And then I went up to Washington, D.C. and was the platform speaker for the end time handmaidens, 4,300 prophetic women, prayed with them, led them in prayer from 10 o'clock at night till six in the morning with mighty miracles. Two days later, my nephew, my godson, is killed. It didn't resonate. It didn't make sense. My wife and I looked at each other, and just the day that she joined me halfway through our tour in Australia, one of the women on our tour came to us and said, we need to pray. The devil has a, a contract out against your children because of what you're doing for God. Not a good word you want to get when you're out in the field, sleeping three, four hours in battle and work, slaving for souls, battling in spirits, a lot of spirits in Australia, a lot of stuff. Area, area, trying to discern what principality you're against, where you're at. It's all out warfare. It wasn't just, oh, let's just go have a hunky-dory kumbaya time. It was all out warfare. And guess the message I was bringing? I was bringing the message of the God of Israel and the Jewish Jesus. <laughs> Wasn't too well received either until God moved. So we prayed and prayed and we felt the breakthrough. And that morning after no sleep, I said, we have the breakthrough. God says to me, he's got it. We kept on. We went. But that morning and that moment when I saw my nephew sitting on, not sitting, laying on the table in the hospital room, cold and broken. And I prayed over him to revive, and he did not. I could literally hear the cackling of the voices in hell, the demons cackling at me. And I heard him say, we got one. We got one. We're not done. Huh. How do you fight that? Mama, all things work together for good to those who love God. Laura Lee and I spoke and we talked. I said, I'm done. I got to hang it up. I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough power. Something went wrong. I'm a father. I'll put myself in the lion's den if that's what it's meant to be. I could do that. I'll jump in in a heartbeat. But to put my children in there or my brother's children in there, Lord, too much for me. You got the wrong guy. Too much for me. As the funeral processed, some young man on the day after we buried him, came in and sat next to me and began to tell me how he was a friend of my nephew's and 
how my nephew had stayed over his house Easter Eve. My antennas went up. I said, son, did you guys go to church? Yes, where did you go? We went to the Poland Baptist Church. I said, good. Was it a good resurrection message? Oh, yes, it was. What did my nephew do? He went forward and received the Lord. I began to weep. <laughs> and I said, you didn't get one. The Lord got one. You didn't get one. And then I repented and was on CBN the next week preaching a powerful message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. New creation life. You see, this isn't just a title for me. This is life. This is life for you and me. This is who we are. This is our power. This is what God wants to raise up in these last days, this end-time army of new creation creatures in the image of Jesus Christ, walking in all the power, all the grace. God knows I need more grace. He knows I need more, because sometimes I feel like I let him down so sorely. And I hear those words, my grace is sufficient for you, son. Sometimes I say, Lord, I don't know if I could take another one. And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. How many of you have been there? How many of you are there? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. little humor, a little victory, and I'm going to release. And we have a little thing we want to tend to here for the church. I, uh, I do some strange work to make a living. And one of those things is, is that I design and install septic systems. How many of you know what a septic system is? It's the thing you flush the toilet on that doesn't go in the city sewer. And I design the ways to get it out of your house and take it to somewhere that's legal. And uh, I got a phone call uh, from a friend who's given us a lot of work. And he said, would you help my neighbor? He's in deep trouble. Stuff's just spewing out. The neighbor's suing him. The health department's mad at him, so I went out, I met him. I said, boy, you got a big problem. It was about 25 to 30 feet of you-know-what coming up out of the ground, about 15 feet wide. You could smell it getting out of the car. I said, oh, boy. <laughs> he said, uh, we need to take care of this quick. I said, yeah, there's stages you go through to get the permit, but I'll bring you to the top of the line. Let me do the best I can. I'll be back in the morning. I don't need anybody. I'll be outside designing and staking. You put little flags and you put the trenches and where everything goes according to a science. And uh, I got out there after I dropped my grandson off at football practice eight, before 8. And I was there a little after 8 o'clock in the morning. And I went near the field and I have on these loafers I wear when it's not wet outside because I can slip them on and slip them off. And they weren't boots that were tied. And I went right to the edge of the field, and I'm staking it, you know, the bad field, the thing that's coming up out of the ground. And I'm just putting a stake down in the ground, and I hear, grrr, loud grrr. I knew this wasn't a little dog. I wasn't sure what it was, but I heard it loud. And I turned around, and as I did, it was about this tall on me, big head, about this far from me, and I startled and went like this, and it startled and went back a step. Now, you know where my step went. And it went in all the way to here. It was a good step. 
Two things come to mind. What do I do with this beast? And I don't want to fall in all the way. Spirit of God kicks in. I look at him. I point right at his nose. I say, good dog, bad day. The dog backs up a step. Grr. So what I do? Grr. He backs up another step. Grr. I go, grr. Then I hear a voice. They call the dog. Somebody in the house. Never saw that person. The dog looking at me while it's backing away. I'm looking at it while it's backing away. The dog goes away. Now I got problem number two. <laughs> what do I do with this? So I really could get rid of those shoes. I don't care about those shoes that much anymore, but I got to go home and I got to get in my truck and this isn't pleasant. Uh, so I look at it. I take this foot, pull it out. My shoe sticks in it. And my sock sticks in it. So I go, first thing I do, praise the Lord. I didn't want to. I didn't feel it. I didn't like it. But the foundation of my face said, praise him in all things. I said, praise the Lord. I looked at it. I figured out how to keep both feet like this to reach over with a stick and pry my shoe out without splattering stuff all over me. I take my shoe. I put it over in a thing of water, and I sink it down in there and let it sit there for a while. They had a pool of just rainwater sitting on the other side of the house. Take my foot, wash it in the rainwater, right? Say, I'm a country boy. It's all right. I finish. I finished. I finished with one bare foot, got in my car, put the shoe in the back of the truck, and I could hear my mama's words. All things work together for good to those of God and are called according to his purpose. I started laughing. It's insane. That's not rational. That's not objective. I start laughing. The windows are down. I put on the message. I'm listening to a worship song. I'm beginning to worship and praise God. I get to my house. I throw the shoes in, whatever they're going. I throw the socks away. I run in, take a quick shower. And I said, I won when I'm coming out of it. I said, I won. That was a good thing, Lord. It would have been a bad thing, but that was a good thing. Two things that I know about. Maybe there was more. I took authority over a beast in the power of God. I took authority over a beast. That beast didn't know what to do with me, and my only reaction was, I win. You get out. And the other reaction was that that crap did not make me not praise the Lord. I praised the Lord. And not only then, I praised him after that, and I said, I win. You don't take my day. And I got a great story to tell the church. Praise the Lord in all things. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Truth is relevant. We're going to continue on in this. We're going to talk about how the truth of this world isn't revelation. I want to talk with us a little bit about absolute truth versus that truth. I want to talk a little bit about the truth of the mob. There's a mob mentality going on in the earth and in this country. It's a different truth than even relevant truth or the other truth. I want to talk about what made Pilate's truth different I want to talk about the truth of the Antichrist versus the Spirit of Christ. I want to talk about discerning the times by discerning truth. We need to do that. I want to talk about perilous times 
that are falling upon the earth and that the weapon of the enemy against us in these perilous times is to destroy truth. It's to destroy truth. When you get this revelation, you'll be able to understand the war that you're in and the conflict that's going on and why the media and every other application is working against you with truth because it is not conforming or transformed to the mind of Christ. It is transforming and conforming to the spirit of the Antichrist. And then finally, after the day of the Lord, I want to talk to us about obedience and disobedience and the true vine. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. That's what we're going to cover. I don't know how we're going to cover it. I don't know how long it's going to take to cover it. But I believe this is foundational for our faith in this day. I believe it's a word that needs to get out. And I believe that it's going to help a lot of people to be able to discern the light from the dark and get rid of the gray. Amen. Father, thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for us and what you're going to do. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you for the spirit of truth resonating inside of us. Thank you, Jesus Christ, that you are the truth, that you are the way, and that you are our life and life more abundantly. Father, we thank you that you have given us the opportunity, the capacity, and the way to know truth and to walk in truth. And he is a person, Jesus Christ, and he is a spirit, the spirit of truth. And he is the heart from your bosom, Father, the Father of truth. And by that, we can call you Abby, Daddy, Abby, Daddy. In Jesus' name, amen.